Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining me here is Lynn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. It's not a real show. So joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. Fake show. Have any of them been real shows? <laughs> no, definitely not. We are, once again, not joined by Lee Younger. He is still on special assignment. No, it does not take a full week to get from Oak Ridge to Chicago. It's just that we record these back to back. So here we are. So recording on the same day. I don't want you to think that um, they're traveling by mule train or something. And right. It takes that long to make the trip. Yeah. And fine Ford Aerostar vans. It's just that we have a recording schedule permitting. Lee's not joining us once again. Right. See, I when we record it, I have to wear headphones to hear Lee. Yes. And if I'm not wearing headphones, it's like it's just it's just all wrong. Sure. The 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 new listener may think, wow, Glenn's a really loyal guy. He really cares about the people who work for him. And right. He's to consider it real if, if G- Lee's not there. That's really sweet. No, it's headphones. That's yep. right. That's Entirely right. headphone-centric. Yeah. Literally the smallest amount of change to be more comfortable, because headphones are three hours, it's rough, but it's just it's thrown us into chaos. Yeah, I get the ear sweats pretty bad. <laughs> but that's <laughs> comforting, because it's so familiar. That's right. That's what spurs the creativity. Yeah. It's like your brain starts getting hot. <laughs> It, it limbers up the mind. It really unlocks some stuff. You go into like a trance and things come out, dude. Absolutely. Like get, you're, you're feeling the vibrations of the universe. Get a bit of the old hot brain going. <laughs> well, fellas, I'd love for us to get right to the wisdom. Okay. I would. Yeah. Nothing, nothing would make me happy. I really thought that. we were going to do it this time, y'all. But we just can't because we have a full on emergency. An emergency? That's right. Sounds like a secret of emergency. It's an emergency of Nashvillean proportions. Wow. Oh, wow. I was in music. Emergency with a fair sized belt buckle. That's right. I was in Music City recently and I got to sit down with a a super fan. We'll call him Zach. Is that his real name? Hard to say, but I got together with Zach and we sat down. And uh, Zach, who's a very cool dude and a good buddy of of ours, he revealed to me something shocking. Oh, okay. Something uh, alarming, even. Was this like something that he's doing in private that we want to definitely talk about on the podcast and shame him on? Yeah, yeah. It's something he's done in private hundreds of times. Oh, wow. Hundreds and hundreds of times. He has listened to literally every episode of the Say That podcast. Oh, no. Wow. Before we started, before we get one on the air, we were discussing um, dietary guidelines from our youths that people thought was a good idea. You know, more meat, more whole milk, more cheese. Yeah. That's what you're going to give a child. Um, in, the, in the same way, I think in the future, the FDA will put out things, say, you know, we used to think it was a good idea to listen to say that podcast, but. Right. It's really not. What we've learned. Yeah. It's Surgeon General warning. Yeah. It's, it's so a more forth. enlightened time. Yeah. 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 And this is any, he, he noted, he's uh, listened to literally every episode and, and um, you know, that's like, you know, 200 hours of, yeah. of my life, you know, so. uh and here's the thing I want us to ask. Do we feel like we're deserving of that level of attention? Definitely not. No. I don't know that we are. It's the, we, we appreciate the downloading. We want you to keep yeah. downloading. Oh, absolutely. In fact, delete them off from go back and download them again. Yeah. Um, it's the listening to every word we say that I think is a strategic problem. I don't listen to every word I say. I think if you tuned into about every third word, this would be a very helpful thing. I'm not even <laughs> listening now. 
<laughs> just a nice zone out, you know, and then come back in. That's right. Yeah. Here's here's what here's what happens. There's a lot of wisdom going on here. Sure, sure. totally. It's high octane. Yeah. Sure. It's like, for example, if you're gonna sell cocaine. Yes. Here's what you do. You take the pure uncut cocaine. Yes. And you add some stuff in it to cut it. Sure, absolutely. So that it's not uh, pure cocaine, you see. In the early 90s, uh, Nine Inch Nails on their concert rider always uh, included that they needed large quantities of cornstarch at Uh every tour stop. Yeah. They just liked baking. That's why. Oh. Yeah. That's, they would uh, sort of hand batter their fried chicken. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yes. For example, when we make analogies about crack cocaine and defame famous people, I can't remember (laughs) if that one was libel or slander, but it was one of them. Um, Don't listen to that part. Yeah. For example. Particularly if you're a law enforcement officer or of the estate of Trent Reznor, just skip those parts in your mind. Please, please don't sue us. But this is. We have nothing. That's right. But here's what happens is. Is pure uncut wisdom. Sure. You primo. It's 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 you it, it might just be too much for your brain. Yeah. Your brain can't handle it all at once. Sure. You had to you had to take this slowly, week by week, let it sink in. Because you what you do is you get out your written transcript. Yes, absolutely. Your leather bound written transcript that yes. you have at home of the show that you wrote out yourself. In longhand. In longhand. With a with a with a quill pen, sure, very monastic. <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. Checking then, each line twice before moving on to the next. That's right. Uh, so once you do that, you what you need to do is you need to review that. You yeah. need to get into it. You need to meditate on it. Then you're ready to move on. You can't take it in all at once. Yeah, you'll literally break your brain. Yes, sure. Yes. You can't drink the old fire hose there. You got to really let it let it seep in. That's right. And don't think too much about the cocaine analogy. I still can't really that, believe we said on the show. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> that's a perfect example of things that you... Should... So, the wisdom you want to let sink in. Right. A lot of this stuff, you just want to let fly right by it. Yeah. yeah don't worry too like, much about it. Important to have a good filtration system. Yeah, it's a, it's a cocaine analogy from guys who do urban ministries. Uh, the, you know, you can track the logic of it. Sure. But uh, unless you have done some dealing with cocaine, <laughs> you probably can't relate a lot to that analogy. So you have to kind of, you know, take that in stride. So it's it's probably like selling, you know, produce at the grocery store. Sure. Yeah. You got to cut the corn with baking soda? I lost it again. I yeah. something with the cornstarch. Yeah, absolutely. I really want Glenn to, at some point, we mentioned the last episode, which again, recording the same day as this one, uh, there's a certain level of tired. Yeah, Glenn certainly is, and I think we all are. Where you just kind of li- certain things go, good, just leave. Yeah, filter being first one. Yeah, now, let's be honest, none of the three of us have a lot left to begin with nope. on that. Right, but I just love the idea of Glenn just forgetting where he is, being in some nice suburban church, and giving the analogy of, well, it's like cocaine. Yeah, it's just <laughs> yes. like cocaine. That's like, right. cut it, sell it. That's I mean, right. re- recently someone was selling rocks out of your very backyard. That's that's absolutely true. Uh, we uh we we we're in our new place now. Uh, it came with I kid you not a koi pond mm. that we did not want. I can't imagine anyone wanting. And it, it was, was in such disrepair to put koi in it at this point would be the ASPCA yeah. would get involved. Yeah, yes. it was and it was basically a swamp. Yes. Yeah, the water was black. 
Yeah, it was festooned with the largest landscaping rocks I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Good use of festooned, by the way, dude. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, no idea how we were going to get rid of them. And this was a you know, multi-week process and uh, lots of hard labor on the part of the staff, etc. And, you know, it, it was very difficult. But at one point... Uh, it was pointed out to us that they actually sell these rocks and they're they're kind of expensive, uh, these land landscaping stones, and so and that's pretty much the only way to get rid of them. You can't that's just, right. You can't put them in the trash can. Yeah. So uh, my wife um, put an ad in Craigslist and people came over and uh, at one point uh, me and the fellows were having a, a lunch at the table and Jane came in very very excited and she says I've I've been selling rocks in the backyard doing very well. Yeah. Um, uh, that's when we explained to her, no, you were, you were selling stones, yes. landscaping stones. You are not selling rock or rocks yes. or multiple rocks or mm-hmm. types of rocks. Particularly here. in four hours when we're all at the bridge. Right. The nerve ministry with the recovering addicts. Do not excitedly share with them that you were selling rocks earlier today. That's yeah. right. Also, that's a bad witness. Don't say that. When the guys come over to take the landscaping stones <laughs> to where the neighbors could hear, I've got some rocks. Here are the rocks. Would you like some rocks? There's lots and lots of rocks for yes. you to buy. Buy yourself some rocks and take them home. Yes. So this is what I'm living with. Sure. There's, and if and if anyone out there wants to make a Breaking Bad sequel <laughs> about a nice suburban lady... It sells crack. Um, you're gonna have to cut us into a slice. That's right. Technically, that's our idea. That's, yeah. that's Glenn's intellectual property. That's right. Of his insane real life that you are you are parroting there. That's right. But it makes a good point that uh, this show is like cocaine. Yes, very much like. That. Oh, we we'd wandered away from that <laughs> so much so that someone may have been able to forget that you said it. I'm glad you brought it back. Now, when I say this show is like cocaine, now, I don't mean that you take your leather bound written transcript. You grind it into fine powder and you snort it. That's not the way to take in the wisdom. You take it in through your ears, people, not through your nose. I know what you're saying. It's just another orifice. Why not? Well, you know what? No. The only orifice where it would be appropriate to oh, take in this show orifice. That makes is worse. your ears. I mean, come on, people. This is just medical science. Well, you know, I heard a story that John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, that's how he would get the word into him, is he'd take a, a Bible and he'd grind it up and just straight up snort it. That's really? What, so we're just, we're just trying I to follow I don't think stuff. that's true. You know what, Jed? Thanks for moving on to uh, to libeling uh, people who are dead. I think that's not legally actionable. Just take one of the most beloved figures in the Far Christian more offensive. world. You, know, just. you see, see, Jed said to himself, Glenn's being hilariously offensive now. I said a thing about Trent Reznor, but I don't think most of our listening audience is going to be that that emotionally yep. attached to Nine Inch Nails. Right. What do they love? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what can I really dig in there on? Can I just crap on something that Christian people love? I was praising him for his love of the word, bro. Oh, I see. I, I see. He just loved the word so much, he, he just snorted it yeah. right up his nose. I mean, look. He did a few lines of Ecclesiastes. Is that what you're trying to tell us? Oh, Dude, to the pure, all things are pure, okay? If right. you're reading some sort of ill Is that in scripture this, about cocaine? It really, <laughs> to, to the uncut, all things are uncut. That's right. Oh, somehow made it worse. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to stop this train, and they, they sucked me into being part of it. Yeah. How's it taste? (laughs) 
So I think we answered the question of, was this a good investment of almost 300 hours of anyone's time? No. Right. No. No, it's, uh, I find it churlish. Yes. Uh, and, and a bit uh, silly. Yes, sure. quite. This show, you know. Insubordinate. Yes. And churlish. Yes. That's right. But I think that if we could, if we could tell you anything on this podcast, it's cocaine is bad. Yes. Yeah, we, we have firsthand knowledge of that being true. Kids, don't do coke. On that basis, uh, Zach, thank you so much, man, for listening. And, and to everybody who listens, we, it actually means the world to us that you yep. listen. Absolutely. And on that basis, don't do cocaine. We declare emergency off. We got it in there at the end. But it's, it is okay to snort uh, a written transcript of the show, is that? You just got to get that not. word inside of you, man. That's yeah, a, yeah, that's right. You have to so. get, you, you know, you, you store the, the word in your heart. Yeah. No. Yeah, probably the best way is you go into the nose. <laughs> no. <laughs> Lining of the lungs. Yeah, during sure. the emergency Coated. segment, it's all adorable, but we've moved into the part where we, it, I just um, imagine all line right. between the emergency segment. That's all I asked for. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I like the imagine all line. It seems like a good idea, but it's easily overwhelmed by our nonsense. Nice World War One rep. Yeah, I, mean, I figured that's something for the people. Okay. Um, Bridgebox is not like cocaine. Okay. It's not like any hardcore drug or narcotic. That's right. It's, it's a lovely. Family friendly. Yes. Ministry service. Straight mm. to the vein. Nope. <laughs> no, no, that wasn't it. Okay. No, that's right. bad branding. Okay. Trying to get away from yeah. that. Ah. The, every month, uh, email comes to your inbox. Gives you a little bump. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's got songs. Right. Okay. MP3s songs. of yeah. songs. It's got yeah. Bible studies, right. sermons from Glenn, right. wonderful wisdom, all based around a topic. That helps you in your life, in your Christian walk. Right. And it's only $8 a month, which goes to help us hire part-time deacons to mm. work in our inner city ministry to help people who don't want to do cocaine anymore. Yes. Yeah, anything, right. Bridgebox is firmly anti-drugs. Absolutely. And that the profits of it literally go to help people get off drugs. Psychedelic, man. No, <laughs> absolutely not. Can we go to a laser show after this? <laughs> What are you guys on? Exhaustion? Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. sweet. Uh, MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. Get, uh, get songs, get sermons, get wisdom. Don't get any drugs. No. And, uh, you know, help the people. Help us what we do. It's the number one way. People who listen to this podcast support what we do in ministry. We are very thankful for all our podcast listeners and also very thankful for all our Bridgebox subscribers. We're going to move on to our first question here. It comes in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox. If you have a question for us, you can have us all the way to the end. I'll give you some ways to get in touch with this. This one says, do you believe a Christian, a person truly saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, can fall so far from God that they change his will for their life? If God has a specific plan for us and we choose a different path but still believe in him, does that mean we've changed his will for our lives? And uh, Glenn, I'll let you start us off on this. This is a, a fairly deep question. I think it's a good question. It can seem kind of theoretical, but I think there's this, yeah. one of those kind of big theoretical questions that almost inherently has a practical concept of we all, we talk a lot about, you know, finding your calling and living into that, but is there an opposite of living into that? I guess would be what this person's asking. Yeah. Here's the thing about that is we have to establish first and foremost, your sins or the sins that you commit or really just sin in general that exists in the world is not more powerful than God. Whoa. 
That's uh, we took care of all that on that Sunday. Kind of yeah, pretty decisive victory. Yeah, this is uh, God does not look on the sin in your life or in my life, past, present, or future. He does not look at it and say, "Well, now that I see this, I'm not so sure." Yeah, that's not how God does things. You he, think I, the omniscient being in charge of the universe, would have seen this coming? But you shocked me with your naughtiness. That's yeah. right. Um, uh, but I think on a larger level here, we're, we're, we're asking about, do I make choices, uh, you know, whether, you know, if I can, if I can be still saved within that, uh, do I get to a place where I've sort of messed up my calling or messed up God's plan for my life? And do, mm-hmm. does God, you know, not have a plan for my life? Well, here's the thing about that. First and foremost, it should be understood that uh, God's plan for your life takes into account you making mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the The reality of that is he knew you were going to make them before you made them, and that's that was all part of that. Uh, it's also true that um, whereas we tend to think of God would give me a calling that pertained to my strengths— uh, my experience is God is only interested in calling me into areas where I am profoundly weak yep. and where I must depend upon him in order to get anything done. And he wants that dependency to continue the entire way so that he's constantly calling me into areas of weakness. I'm constantly in over my head and trying to develop uh, uh, those weaknesses into strengths and I'm relying on him continuously throughout all that. Uh, the truth is, God takes the mistakes that we make, the, the backsides that we have, all of that, and he makes those things work for our calling, for our future. He puts them to use. And mm-hmm. we have a testimony that we can tell of our past and our background. So even those things are part of God's will. Now, Part of what may be confusing you about this is you will, of course, sh- suffer short-term consequences of yep. your actions. If you do something to mess up what's going on in your life, you, you know, if you break the law, you may end up in jail and those kinds of things. It doesn't mean that God stops using you. He can use you in, in, while you're locked up in jail. Uh, that's not the ideal thing. That wasn't uh, you know, the, 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 the best possible. It wasn't plan A. Yeah, it certainly wasn't. But the the truth is, God can use us even in those mistakes. Uh, yes, in the short run, we will we will deal with those consequences. But over the long run, uh, God takes even those setbacks and turns them into comebacks. He uses us in the midst of that. So I think it's it's important for us to filter out sort of the human and physical consequences and making mistakes that are real that we have to deal with, and that those are tough enough, and and separate that out from the idea of our spiritual life being wrecked by that mm-hmm. somehow. Yeah, I think that's a very important point. I'd love to get you to follow up with that, because there's this idea of, I think people tie in a, a growing relationship with the Lord, a good spiritual life, a calling, something filling mm-hmm. that, into a one-shot deal. Okay. And the way that even people are, like our friend is saying the question, even people are totally on the, there's nothing you can do to lose your salvation. I, I think we've all met a lot of those people who, but still really want there to be some major untenable fallout of bad decisions Mm -hmm. to the point where, um, you know, it's, well, you were supposed to be in this one place, this one time, 
and you didn't do it. Right. So now there's nothing. Right. So maybe is that a little bit of what we want to speak to on an emotional level here of, can I just screw it up so bad that um, whatever's left over would be kind of a, a halfway blessing that's not all that cool, but God can't squish me, so he want, he has got to give me something, but I don't actually get the the good, unbelievable, amazing thing I was set for. Sure, sure, sure. I I think we're dealing with a lot of a lot of fear here, man. Um, and I'm sorry that that you've been around people and around religious stuff that's made you so afraid. Um, yeah. It, 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 let's review before we answer your questions any further. The situation that we're dealing with. The situation that we're dealing with is this. You were dead in your sins, in your trespasses and your transgressions. God loved you anyway. God saw you and said, I am so passionately in love with this person. I care about them so much. I will pay any cost, bear any burden, go any distance, do whatever it takes so that I can be united with them and I, they can live the life that I designed them to live. And we can be together, mm-hmm. which is the thing that, that I care about. That, that was God's perspective towards you. That is still God's perspective towards you. That will always be God's perspective towards you. So we need to bear that in mind and ask, are the questions we're asking, do, do they even make sense in light of that? As Matt is pointing out, you know, in, in what you're throwing over to me, it, it it seems like you're wondering, does God have to put up with me, but he doesn't really want to, and he's secretly resenting me, and he's, you know, and there's loopholes and whatnot. God is crazy in love with you. God adores you. God loves, loves, loves you. God is not your legalistic auntie who isn't angry. She's just disappointed. That's your auntie. That's not God. We need to separate these people in our head. And again, I'm sorry you've been around religious people that have put that much fear and that much shame on you. You asked a lot of questions that are basically unanswerable because they have to do with how do you reconcile an all-knowing God who exists outside of space and time with the life of an individual person who has free will and exists inside the realm of time? Um, that That's the, the, the nature of the questions that you've asked here. There isn't a way to answer them. Um, that's uh, when, we, when you get to heaven, you can ask God and he can tell you directly. In the meantime, though, we can ask some related questions that may be more emotionally what you care about. Question one, will God ever give up on you? No. Firm no. Question number two, will God ever stop wanting to use you? No. Firm no. Question three, will God ever stop having an amazing, unbelievable plan for your life? No. Firm no. I think the question, though, that is before you, these are all questions about God. Here's, here's the question that's before you is, are you willing to trust this God that you are so desperately afraid of enough to take the one next step? That's, that's the thing that's actually before you. He says he loves you. He says that he's there for you. He says that he cares about you. I know you've had a chorus of people in your life tell you that's not true, that he's wrathful and filled with righteous indignation and all that. Forget all that. That's all, that's all a load of hogwash. God loves you. The question is, are you willing to trust him on that enough to take one step on this journey? You kind of can't have an amazing life if you won't take a step towards an amazing life. And if you think God is waiting to squash you like a little bug, you're not going to take that that step. That's the thing that I would really have you look at and, and think about and pray about is forget the deep philosophical questions for a second. What does it take for you to take the one next step towards the life God has for you? How much courage do we need? How much prep do we need? How much planning do we need in order to take that one next step? I guarantee you from my own personal experience, he will meet you in the midst of that. But what's standing in the way of you taking the next step on the amazing life God has for you? 
I think it's exactly the right way to look at that. Um, if you, with what I read in this question exactly as Jed is saying is a lot of fear. Just it, would this be this really cool thing? But I screwed up so so many times that I don't get any cool things. And um, as Jed is saying, the the we want to be honest on this show as much as much as humanly possible. So do we all know people who in our worldly estimation had a really cool shot at doing something really cool and being on something really cool and chickened out or, sure. you know, didn't take care of their business or did something, you know, really stupid and they don't get that cool thing anymore? Absolutely. Right. We, to be fair, we all yeah. know those people. Definitely. Um, But it's not for us to say you don't ever get anything good again. Right. You don't get blessings. You, whatever we, we those people are doing now, we don't think is as cool because they used to be a lot closer to what we're doing, which we think is the coolest thing on earth. Mm-hmm. But to say that they don't, you don't get a happy life. You don't get any fulfillment on that. That's a not true. And B is not for anyone else to say. Right. It, goes, it goes back to what Glenn was saying of you're kind of putting God in a box there by saying he had, you know, you have to be at King's cross station at 10 AM on, you know, God's not dropping off the blessing bag for you. Right. And then right. you got to pick it up and be at this point in time, you know, God's and whether you theologically, you want to say that's, you know, uh, God's plan is flexible and there's an, you know, uh, Doctor Who style, there's fixed points and everything flexes around or this was predestined. That's that's up to you. And I don't quite, quite frankly want to talk about any of that because it all seems uh, a little boring and uh, boorish to me. But what we know is exactly as Jed's saying, there's not any there's no such thing as. You just screwed it up. So you don't you get the uh, the second level blessings here. The God is very clear. The Bible is very clear. Read any parables, read what Jesus says that if you're if you're one of Jesus's people, you get the good stuff. And that's mm-hmm. and that that offer does not run out. All right, that's very, all very good stuff. We're going to take you to our next question here. This came in anonymously, and it says, "Hello, I'm a recently married man, and my wife and I both work hard. However, she makes a bit more money than me. We both want to start a family, and I'd like to have a conversation with her and ask if she would think about staying home with the kids. And I feel like this can be misconstrued as sexist and misogynistic." Uh huh. You'll get your chance. Yes. <laughs> she definitely wants to have a solid career, though, and I've been avoiding the topic because of these hairy issues. How do I do this? Now, this is similar to a question we had last week where um, sexist and misogynistic say, yeah. yes. Yeah. Misconstrued? No. That is not a misconstruing. That is an accurate reading of the thing you're putting down here. Right. But, so we want to be, again, we want to be clear and honest with you about that. The other half of this is you're writing into people who... Uh, you think you have assessed to have some wisdom about this stuff, which is true. Talking to Glenn and Jed, and again, two guys are in very good, very happy marriages who they support their wives and their wives support them. So we want to give you a ton of credit for that. You want yeah. to do oh, this yeah. well. Doing this well will almost certainly mean disabusing yourself of some notions that you have. Right. But that's okay. Yeah. We believe in you. We're going to speak in soothing tones. Well, that's right. <laughs> we get where we're going, and Jed wants to start us off. Well, we do appreciate you writing in, and congratulations on your recent marriage, and we, we wish you much happiness. And because we wish you much happiness, <laughs> we're also going to help you hopefully find a path towards happiness. You've said in your question, um, she wants a career and she makes more than you. So my question to you is, why exactly do you want her to be the one who stays home with the kids? Uh, As I said in the blog post, you seem to have left an option off the table here, friend. Yeah. Because the Bible? Nope. Yeah, no, no. Um, As is always the answer when someone says, because the Bible, do better. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
Here's the thing. I mean, maybe there's a factor that I'm that I'm leaving out. I mean, maybe, you know, it's well, I, I, I as the husband, I don't think I'm very good with kids. And she's actually a primary school teacher. And it's mm-hmm. just amazing with kids. And I feel like that. And even though, you know, it would be not the best economic move, you know, I just feel like it'd be really because she'd be so much better with the kids. All right. That's not a slam dunk. But I, you know, I can see your reasoning. Well, there could be even something of she does make more money than me. But she her job is super stressful and she doesn't really like the company she works for and I don't make quite as much money but I really like my job and there's uh, opportunity for advancement in the future. There's sure. there could be some details we're missing here. There, there could be. You have not included any of those details, uh, which uh, does not make it look good for you. If your belief is basically she's the woman so she should stay home, that is sexist. That's the textbook definition of it. Um, it, it is misogynistic and you don't have a point. Um, uh, you don't have a biblical point. You don't have a life point. Uh, and you, you know, bless your heart. We love you, but you, you kind of come off as a jerk, uh, putting things that way. I'm, I'd love to think that there's more, that there are details that you're, that you're leaving out. We don't think you are a jerk to be clear. Nope. Um, but, um, the way that you're expressing this reads that way. Just, just so you know, we love you enough to actually tell you the truth and, and tell you what the deal is. Um, uh, Matt did respond to this in a post. And one of the things that he rightly pointed out is uh, we know plenty of people who are house husbands. Um, you know, they're a married couple. They've looked at it. It makes more sense for a variety of reasons for the, the husband to do the be the primary caregiver, you know, day in and day out. And the, the wife is the primary provider day in and day out um, there. We want to be clear about a couple of things. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing unbiblical about that. There's nothing lesser about that. There's not even really anything noteworthy about that. It just happens to be the thing that made the most sense. The thing that I'd encourage you to look at is that um, a marriage, particularly a Christian marriage, is, is meant to be a team. Uh, it's meant to be a team who has goals to achieve, that, that God gives us a sense of, of calling and purpose, and uh, you know, that's, that's what we're here to do. Given that, then we want to make decisions that better help us achieve those goals. Um, if God calls you and your wife to have children and, and to raise, you know, healthy, well-adjusted, godly children, well, that's, that's a good goal. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we achieve this, this goal with which we've been entrusted? Um, when we're trying to determine how to achieve a goal, we want to put all the options on the table. We, we don't want to just throw away options because well, I don't know, we'll look at everything because there's, there's strengths and weaknesses to every approach. Now, again, it may turn out that for a variety of reasons, it makes more sense for your wife to be the primary giver and caregiver and she stays home and, and, and you work your career. It's certainly possible. But to assume that that would be the case because that's what you grew up with. Um, that that's actually, that's, that's not a good reason, not a compelling reason at all. Matt said on the last episode, and he's absolutely right that the, um, the breakdown in most relational stuff begins with a communication breakdown, which means that the fix in most relational stuff begins with communication. Uh, and that's really, really, really what we need here is, um, some long extended blue sky thinking discussions of what does it mean for us to build a family and what does it mean for us to, to raise godly children? How could that work? Um, what would we like to see happen, uh, without bringing in an assumption of there is a right way for this to go down? Um, Again, we want to be clear. We don't think you're a jerk. We don't think you are a misogynistic person. But it does sound like you are operating from some assumptions that your wife 
probably pretty understandably would not be okay with. Um, you know, figure out what the goal is, discuss together what the goal is, and come up with a solution that that works for both of you for your unique situation. Absolutely right. And it's worth pointing out again. Um, you can say something sexist, misogynist, without meaning to or without being a person who holds those views. Again, that's a kind of a thing we, uh, but that's part of learning. Again, I've, I've worked here for a few years now. There are several times I've gone to Glenn or Jed and said, I think the way I would phrase this is going to hold a problem in this room of people of other genders and races. and background. I don't understand why, but I have a sense this is not the way to put that. And right. Nine times out of, out of 10, the answer is, oh, you have, you have guessed correct, friend. <laughs> right, right, right. Super don't do that. Right. And here's why. It's, mm-hmm. it's, again, we want to give you a lot of credit for saying, here's what's in my mind, but for reasons I'm not entirely sure on. Doesn't seem like the way to go. Mm-hmm. And Glenn, I'd love to get you to pick up on this on this team solution mm-hmm. idea because mm-hmm. again, very important to marriage. And it sounds like again, if we're if we're if we were if this was someone who was not a podcast listener, so we did not have warm feelings about them, and who wasn't asking us for advice, so we're just judging mm-hmm. this on this is a a phrase someone is saying. Um, it would sound like they are not so much trying to arrive at a team solution as they have a solution. Yes. That they want to know how do I sell my spouse on, <laughs> which I and people who don't have maybe don't have a lot of relationship experience or have been married very long, because that's the way you do stuff at your job and at school. Right. Is, you know, you have a a thing and you're trying to convince someone, but that's not the way you communicate in a relationship, right? Definitely not. That's a horrible, horrible idea. If you're a man, don't just have an idea and sell people on it. Yep. Ask the woman because here, here's why: when God made, He started off with men. It was the first draft. Yeah. And sure. he said, Oh, this guy needs help. Yeah. And so uh that's you. Yes, you, you know, need you, help. You need help. Receive the help. Ask for help. Don't figure this out all by yourself, then try and sell her on it. That's not what that is. Second thing is I get the feeling there's a, a decent chance that you uh maybe were raised in a home where uh, your mom was a stay at home mom and, and raised the, the kids. Uh, if that's the case, and you felt like that was really good and really idyllic and, and nice, go find your mom, get, call her on the phone, go over to see her, sit her down and say, if you had to do it all over to get uh, all over again, and you had any other option, any other way of doing this, would you take that option? Would you have raised us in a different way? And if so, in what way? For example, would you have taken a part-time job and put us in daycare a couple of days a week just to give yourself a freaking break. Your mom, I'm here to tell you here and now will say, Oh God, yes. <laughs> you all people, you people nearly killed me. That's what's going to, that's what's going to come out of that. Now, uh, the, the thing is if you go, uh, and I think it's a great idea for you to talk to other parents about this kind of stuff before you have the kids of your own. And here's what happens. What will happen when you do that? You go to other parents and you say, well, you know, we're thinking about having kids, and we're not sure how to, to, to structure that, but what can you tell us about having kids? They'll say, it's just the most rewarding, most amazing thing in my life that I've ever done. And here's what you tell them in that moment. You say, cut the crap. Yep. Tell me the tell me the downside. I know the upside. I imagine loving these children that I have, I, I, I and I don't need to know that that's what will be the bottom line conclusion. Sure. I know I'm going to love them. They're adorable. Uh, <laughs> they smell like fresh cut grass. We get it. Yeah, it's that that we know. It's they, the, you know, making sure that we keep them alive. And you know, apparently, there's a part on your head you don't want to mash with your fingers. So this is what I'm saying. Soft spot. 
It's like it's booby trapped. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's like you want to touch it, but don't touch it. I mean, that's very confusing. So what I'm saying is that uh, it, it's about recognizing. I I feel certain if you if you do that and you you talk to other uh, parents, uh, they will almost certainly tell you the first six to nine months or so, it's all hands on deck. Sure. Everybody pitch in, everybody do everything you can. Uh, so the vision you have of this gal going solo and you're just there to uh, supervise is, uh, that's not realistic, dude. So that's, that's just not how child rearing really works. And you don't want it to be that. That's not nope. the healthy, best way for your kids uh, to be raised. It's also important to recognize that uh, that children, as they're growing up, as they're developing, they need time with other children. Yep. And that can be a play date where you know, mom can take a little bit of a break. That can be a Bible study fellowship. That can be uh, a vacation Bible school. It can be a couple of days a week in daycare. But that's good and helpful for that kid's development, to spend time around other children, to learn to share, learn to... Uh, form healthy friendships, uh, learn to be in a group and take their turns. And those things are really important. So having this idea of you know, this woman with these kids by herself all day, every day, and that that's the ideal here really ought to go out the window. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is everybody doing everything they can. We all work together. And I I want to end where, where, where Jed started. This needs to be a plan that everybody gets in on. This is a team. This is everybody, all the wisdom that we can get on this. And you need to come into that with an open mind on what's the best way to get this done. Because if you haven't raised children, you really don't know what you're in for. So developing a plan all by your little self as a man and getting everybody on that plan is, is, is not going to yield positive results. Yeah, it's a really fantastic point. Now, we want to be clear, there's nothing wrong, misogynistic, um, throwback about a woman staying home. Right. If we, again, we have the discussion and says, even she makes more money and says, yeah, I make a little bit more money, but I don't feel like this company's going to be around in five years and I don't really want to, I don't want to, you know, do the whatever the grad school to get to the next level and I, I'm all stressed mm-hmm. out. So mm-hmm. I, I'd rather do this and I, and you know, we, we can sit down and budget out the amount you make mm-hmm. and make all that work out. That's great. It's the assumption yeah. is where things like sexism yeah. come in when you just say, well, men do this and women do that. That is, again, the very definition of sexism. Um, again, this is not about finding the right solution, full stop. It's about finding the right solution for your situation, for you guys. And that could be fluid. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. could be, you know, um, as, as Glenn's pointing out here, you know, one of you stays home, whoever, for a couple of years. And then yeah. at that point you decide, well, we're going to do, you know, a part-time job or we're going to do daycare or whatever. This is, but this is not about, as Glenn used the phrase idyllic, which I think is exactly what we're talking about here. There's a phrase, there's an idea in certain circles and particularly certain Christian circles that there is a way you can construct your family, your social stuff that immunizes you from anything bad. Mm-hmm. That if, Dad goes out and works a nine to five and comes home with a hat for some reason mm. and their slippers and mom wears a poodle skirt and stays home and bakes pie. Then that guarantees your child will never do drugs. Right. That guarantees you will, you will all go to church and you will all have a, right. and um, let's again, there are certain, there are certain uh, organizations with family in the name right. that have 
made a lot of money selling that idea. If you just do it exactly ABC, then yeah. all, all the kids will absolutely turn out fine. Mm-hmm. That's super stupid. Right. That's not right. the way any of this works. Mm-mm. That's not the way child rearing works. As Glenn pointed out, it's actually not the way Christianity works. Christianity is not a prescriptive, do ABC mm-hmm. and everything will work out good. Mm-hmm. Christianity is you as an individual, your wife as an individual, and now you two as a couple, as a unit, have a unique relationship with God, and he has unique things for you to do. Mm-hmm. So, again, there's no, we're not telling you that you have to stay home. We're not telling you your wife has to work. We're telling you that you have to start with a, as Glenn, as Jed put it, blue sky thinking. You have yes. to sit down and say, if we have kids, what happens? And then explore all those options. Super fast, um, uh, a, a really nice place to start with all the stuff that we're talking about here. Uh, a guy named Tim Kimmel, uh, who has a ton of good stuff online. He, he wrote a book called Grace-Based Parenting okay. that really does get us away from sort of that formulaic kind of legalistic kind of thinking and into using actual biblical grace type principles in parenting so that there's a real ministry happening mm. to your kids. Really, really good stuff. And I, and I definitely think you should check that out. Absolutely. One final detail we'd definitely like to throw your way is that um, depending on the family you grew up in, depending on the kind of church you go to, you may get a fair amount of pressure from both of those social structures to do things a certain way. Um, you know, uh, uh, if mom, if your mom was a stay at home mom, you may get pressure from your parents. That that's the way it should be for the two of you. Likewise, if you go to, well, the funny thing is if you go to a very conservative church, you may get pressure from them to do things that way. If you go to an extremely liberal church, you may almost get the reverse pressure, uh, from them. But this is the key thing. No one else gets a vote. Yep. No one else gets a say. Now, and it's an absolutely great point that, a, a vote is very different from advice. Yes. Like Glenn was pointing out. Yes. And no one you want advice from should think they get a vote. Exactly right. Exactly right. You want advice from people who know what they're doing, people who have raised kids in a way that you would want to emulate. At the end of the day, the vote is the Lord and then you and your wife. Uh, that's that's it. You don't let other people pressure you and try and insist they have a vote where they don't. That's a fantastic point. It actually goes to something uh, a little bit broader, which is when you're seeking advice to get to these kind of things. Good advice, and you may notice from the way we do it on the show, is very rarely prescriptive. Yeah. Very rarely do you go to someone for a big thing like this. You know, this this isn't, you know, how often should I change my oil? This is a this is a big, hairy, complicated deal and say, well, what's the what's the right way? Good advice is not to say, oh, well, you have to do it this way. Yeah. This is the Christian way to do it. Good advice is looking at the situation. If if they're relaying how they did say, here are the things, here are the factors we looked at. Here's Here's the budgeting app we use to see what it would be. And here's here's who we talk to and all that. Helping you think through a way to come to the decision that's right for you is yep. what good advice is, good godly advice. It's not saying this is the way we do it because this is the way you have to do it. Turns out, even in Christianity, there's a really rare number of things that are just, I mean, yes, you have to forgive. Yes, you have to be in fellowship with people. These are things you got to do. They're prescriptive. But if those are very rare and more, it's and that's what we want to do on the show is give you a way to think through things, a way to arrive at your own uh, uh, your own conclusions with you and the Lord. So we're going to go to our final question here. This came in anonymously. It says, Have you discussed 2 Corinthians 10.6 in the Bible Nerdatorium yet? It came up in my Bible study, and I didn't know what it was about. So, uh, so he's on the same page. 2 Corinthians 10.6 says, And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. 
And Glenn, as the purveyor of the Bible Nerdatorium, yes, uh, what did you have to say about that? Well, uh, that's right. I I I keep the keys and uh, and and guard the chamber. Yeah. Of the, you know, I'm going to say this, and you put a reverb to it okay. later. All right. The Bible Nerdatorium. You're going to add reverb. Sure. Though, yeah. Right? You can put full the, on. Like, Full on sixties Batman, yeah, like a booming reverb to that. So people, when people hear it later, they'll hear absolutely really, uh, like a lot of reverb. You know, yeah, like big, yeah. Okay, so um, here's the thing: is uh, uh, taken out of context, this sounds pretty pretty wild, a little and, rough, and a little unusual. Uh, so we want to start with the context of this. So the context is. Uh, that uh, Paul is talking about other people who are uh, not only claiming to be apostles, but they're super apostles. Ooh, that's pretty impressive. They're really amazing. They will tell you and they will boast and brag about all the things that they've seen and heard and all they're amazing and all of this. And um, uh, what Paul is is talking about is, uh, you know, tearing down these strongholds with good wisdom and good godly advice, good direction from God. Uh, so, so when he's talking about uh, you know uh, dealing with disobedience, he's he's talking about it in the spiritual sense and in, in a verbal sense, not you know just physically going and you know assaulting someone or something like that. Uh, that's clear from the context. There's no no way to to to, to miss that point. Uh, but it's it, we the context is important in the sense that. Uh, we had to understand that Paul then is dealing with similar things we're dealing with now, that there's always something on the edges of legitimate, good, strong, healthy ministry that is coming along and saying, I'm cooler, I'm more legit, Mm -hmm. I am more holy, I am more fancy, I am more popular— Everyone thinks what I'm on is is the thing. We're mega apostles. That's right. And uh, here's the thing about that is that's actually it's all we always have that for a reason because that's exactly what the devil does. He comes mm-hmm. disguised as an angel of light. He comes along and says this thing which has less uh, of an ability to really minister to you is just better. It's cooler. It's more. It's bigger and more amazing and all that. And Paul is coming along saying, "I don't want to. I, I don't even want to play in that game. I mm-hmm. want to uh, be in a place where uh, I'm just giving you what's been given to me, and I want to love on you, and I want to tell you what's going on. And if you like this other dude better, there's nothing I can do about mm-hmm. that. If you want to go to that." church or that thing or listen to follow that guy and that makes you feel like you're important because of that a whatever that is but i just want to build good things into you uh he's when he's talking about disobedience in there i think it's a really interesting word and i i really want to zoom in on that in terms of the bible nerd aspect of mm-hmm. this uh the 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 greek word there is perikoein and what he's talking about is it's like um, it, this this Greek word has to do with listening, right? List, listening to uh, a, a, advice and correction, but it's it the the para is like parallel. It's like right next to. It's it. What he's what he's saying is, 
you're 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 going up this path, and I'm tr- I, I'm trying to to give you advice or correction, but it's not that you're doing something wrong. It's that you 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 need to go about five degrees this way in order to be on the right thing mm-hmm. down the line. So it's it, it the word is is not talking about you are this guy is preaching something wrong and I'm preaching something right. It's that I'm trying to tell this guy a truth. I'm trying to give this person a word of of advice that this isn't quite it. And that person doesn't want to listen to that. That person wants to do their own thing and they want to puff themselves up. They want to say, I'm important and what I'm doing is big and what you're doing is small. And what what uh, Paul is talking about there at the end, he says, I'm ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. In other words, what he's saying there is, it's more important for me to build you up than it is to tear them down. I, you know, he's, he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm ready to put down what's a disobedience or a, not, a lack of responding to correction, but I, I'm, I'm ready to do that once your obedience is complete. Mm-hmm. I, I'd, I'd rather get you to a place of obedience and then worry about their disobedience later on. And par- absolutely. And part of that may speak to how easy a trap this is to fall into. Yeah. Saying, I, we need to get you on firm footing before we go around talking about what's wrong with everything else. Otherwise, you're going to end up being the guy talking about how you got it right and everybody else has it wrong. Right, that's right. that's how insidious these things tend to be. Yeah. So that's a lot of really good stuff and really good introduction. And Jed, you have a little bit more force on this? I do, I do. So every time we enter the Bible, Nerdatorium! Nerdatorium! Reverb isn't free, y'all. There might be so many of these. (laughs) I'm going to put a nickel in every time I want reverb. (laughs) So every time we go in there, we talk about this thing called context. Um, And if you're new to Bible stuff, here's what it means. The context is the setup for a joke. If I just tell you a punchline, it's actually, it's not a joke. There, you know, the, a horse walks into a bar. That's the context. Wrecked him. I destroyed him. <laughs> <laughs> In that case, it almost works better without the setup. That's but the, a, as always, Glenn is the exception that proves the rule. That's right. Exactly right. In general, if you only tell the punchline, it's not a joke. If you just yell out, why the long face, that is not funny. Exactly right. Why the long face is the punchline. A horse walks into the bar is the setup. The setup is context. You, you, know, you have to have the context to understand the joke. Context in the Bible means we need to know what's going on in the surrounding verses. Because um, it'd be easy, and I'm concerned for you that um, someone brought this up to you and they read you this verse and said, and that's why pastor gets to punish you when you do bad things. Um, that's not in any way what this verse means. Um, uh, no one gets to punish you. So let's cancel that idea. Um that's- Super duper creepy. Yeah, that's just, uh, I have a feeling that may have been part of the tone. I'd love to be wrong about that. The context is what was going on in the other verses that led up to this point that helps us understand what's being said here. So that's, in general, what Bible context means. But today we want to take it even a little bit further and recognize that the Bible, although it has truth to speak for all people in all times and all places, it was also written in a specific place and time and historical context, and that we want to understand what those things are in order to understand what it will mean for us today. The easiest and fastest way to get that information is to turn to a kind of book called a commentary. 
A commentary is where someone who's a real Bible expert, they've really studied this stuff, they've gone through maybe, you know, certain books of the Bible, some do more than others, but they've gone through and they've kind of written out everything that was going on. Kind of, here's what the language means, and here's the cultural uh, stuff that was going on, here's the historical stuff that was going on, and here's what all that means as it pertains to the words you read in the Bible. There are a lot of good commentaries out there. We'd love to turn you on to a series. It's made by a, uh, a fellow named William Barclay. He is a world-renowned uh, a New Testament uh, expert. He uh, taught for many years at um, the University of Glasgow, in Glasgow, Scotland. And his name, his last name, B-A-R-C-L-A-Y, William Barclay. And it's called the Daily Study Bible Series. And he has a book about uh, each individual book of the New Testament. He has a whole book about that. And um, they're meant for people who do ministry. Uh, they, it, is, it is meant that you are not a Bible scholar, and this is a book to help you as you do ministry with other people to understand what's in the Bible. So it's awesome. I use these books all the time. They are, they are great. So here's what he had to say is two things we want to understand. The first is that in the beginning of 2 Corinthians, so you reference chapter 10 here, the first uh, many, really up to chapter 10, there are repeated references to Paul writing an angry letter, a difficult letter, a letter that at one point he talks about regretting kind of that he sent in the first place. You know, there's this, this difficult letter. It comes up a lot. And then there's kind of a jump in the text when we get to chapter 10. Well, what a lot of scholars think actually is that what begins in chapter 10 is the angry letter. That when people were compiling Paul's writings, there there may have been some things that were, you know, that got a little out of order, that almost the chapter 10 on is the angry letter that he sent, and then actually the beginning of 2 Corinthians is um, what he had to say in the aftermath of that angry letter, that that's actually what we're dealing with. Okay, all of a sudden we have some interesting context. We had stuff we didn't know that helps us understand that. Yeah, and he's talking about... The contrast between his letters and the way he is in person and how people are trying to do stuff with that to put him down. Exactly right. Exactly. Let's unpack that for a second. It's very, very good. The verse that, that you're referring to is a part of a beginning of an angry part of a letter, certainly, but maybe an angry letter whole. And what he says is a lot of people show up and they say, Paul's a wimp in person and a big tough guy when he's writing letters. Mm-hmm. Don't make me be a big tough guy. I'll throw down. Right. That that's what he's saying. That's the beginning of of the angry letter. And and actually, the verse you're talking about is basically the the end of the first paragraph of the angry letter. But here is what Doctor Barclay um, has to say, and it, I think it's really good for us to look at this. I'm just going to read you an excerpt from his book for a moment. Now we have come to a section of the letter which is very hard to understand, and for this reason that we are only hearing one side of an argument. We are hearing only Paul's reply. We do not know accurately what the charges were which the Corinthians leveled against him. We have to deduce them from the answers which Paul gives, but we can at least try to make some deductions. And then he goes on to suggest what those deductions would be, and they're actually the exact things that that Glenn already walked us through. Here's why that matters. The first is we want to be – it's good to know that we are only getting one side of an argument, Mm -hmm. that that's that's what we're seeing here. Therefore, our understanding of the text is going to be – limited on that basis necessarily. The second thing is we want to be very careful of someone who says, I'll tell you exactly what that's talking about, because that's, you know, it's kind of not possible. The other thing, again, love to be wrong, but if you have someone who is trying to tell you what this verse does is it gives me permission to do church discipline. 
I can get in there. I can, you know, I got people in my congregation. I punish them when they do bad things. It is not saying that. And not only that, uh, one would want to be probably pretty cautious about making significant doctrinal decisions on the basis of a text where we're missing half of the argument, um, that that would probably be something at the very least we would want to be cautious about, and we would want to look for other things in Scripture that are a slam dunk saying the exact same thing before we uh, 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 took this too, too far. So it's one of these things where if we if we dig into all that context, what we find is there's a lot of interesting stuff there. There's a lot of... of um, cool historical stuff. There's some interesting implications for our lives, which Glenn laid down, uh, but there is not in any way a foundation for people to boss you around or tell you what to do or punish you if you do something they don't like. That is absolutely right. It's a very important point because uh, Jed brings up one of what I would consider two incredibly likely scenarios of you running across this verse. One is it's essentially being misused by someone who's trying to justify their actions. Here's the thing. Whenever someone's being a jerk and uh getting very excited about church discipline and punishment is super jerky behavior and creepy on a bunch of other levels, but it's definitely jerky. Um, even if they find a Bible verse that sounds like they get to be a jerk, there's no one in the Bible that says you get to be a jerk. Yep. So we know what the Bible says. So um, as we said, and again, if you're a seminarian, I hope you have your weeping cloth near you. Um, as we've heard people say to pastors, what's well, in the Bible? N- no. Yeah, it's not. I don't gotta. Even if it was. Yeah. Um, the grace thing means I don't actually have to do that. Yeah. And I can find another church. So submit and all that, but got anything else then I have a Bible verse. So again, so if someone's trying to manipulate on that, not only now you have some very good ammo from these guys to counteract that. And again, this is one of the situations where it's probably more counteracting it in your own mind, because again, if you go to a church where a pastor really wants to talk about punishing those who are disobedient, um, just leave. Yep. Don't argue with him. He's not going to hear it. Just leave. Find a better church. Almost any church you walk into on a random Sunday would be better than one where the pastor openly talks about punishing people. The other option is we're just walking through Second Corinthians. Yeah. Just kind of stem to stern, and we're out of chapter 10, and now this, and it's the rest of it's just kind of normal Bible stuff, and then this really weird thing is laid in the middle of it. And that's also context, as these guys point out, is also the answer there of, okay, we know what we've started at the beginning of this book, as Jed is saying, so... We know generally what the Bible says about, you know, being nice and growing and servant leadership and all that. And we know specifically what Paul says about that stuff. We know what he's saying to the Corinthians. So this one verse is not going to just landmine all that stuff. And now it's about, you know, flogging people into being obedient to their church leaders. So whenever you come across a a verse like this, no matter how you come to it, um, context is the key to that. And until you can get to uh, William Barclay book, or, you know, uh, we talk about, um, using biblehub.com, which is a great thing that has like the, uh, the inner linear verses. You can actually look at the Greek words or writing in dust or something. It's perfectly okay to say, I don't know what that means, but I'm going to pause it on. It probably doesn't undo all the other Bible stuff I do understand and how. So I start with John three sixteen and God with the love and the forgiveness and then I taught, and then I know the part about where Jesus said to be in charge means you have to be the servant of everyone, and we're supposed to be patient with each other. So this one verse tucked away in the back of Second Corinthians certainly doesn't mean that all that is off the table, mm-hmm. and people just get to be jerks. And that is how you. It, that's a kind of sense of personal context, and that's a good way to stave off the kind of internal freakout that we all get. Is even still, but when we first start looking at the Bible of 
okay, there, this sentence seems bad. You can stay off and say, okay, but we know the basics of this religion. We know the basics of where we're supposed to treat each other. So while I find out what this specifically means and how that plays into that, I can kind of put a pause on it. And that's a healthy thing to do. And that's something we do. I mean, I'll come across stuff or if I'm talking with one of our guys and say, I don't really know about that. Let me, you know, let me, let me talk to Glenn. Let me talk to Jed. Let me get some, some background. Cause I'm pretty sure it doesn't mean that. So right. we'll come back next week. That's perfectly fine. Perfectly acceptable. And a good way to kind of go about your walk and that stuff. All right. Thank you for writing in. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, the bridge, Chicago.tumblr.com. We're going to take out the song this week. That is, uh, we did a an entire episode of our bridge podcast on this a couple of weeks ago. This is one of Jed's newest worship songs as premiered the bridge to much acclaim. Ooh. Uh, this is a version recorded live at the bridge. The song is called the one we're going to take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The say that podcast. were not like cocaine. We're more like an unlicensed fireworks display. Woo. Yeah, no, that worked.
Yeah. 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 Yeah.